And two of the men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots for them. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even snared at him, and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, we thank you this morning that God, as I share the word, our hearts are going to be encouraged to know that God, that you're able to, to save, you're able to rescue, you're able to help those that are crying out to you in the most desperate of their moments of their life you're right there in the most difficult times of their life God when they feel like God there's no solution God when they feel like they're at the end of their life God I thank you that that's when you sovereignly step in and you rescue us Lord many of us in this room were at that point in our life of total desperation Lord, it looked so black, it looked so negative, it looked so hopeless. But that's when you do your best work, when we come to the end of ourselves. So we pray today that you bless this message. God, I pray for all those that are watching around the world via live stream today. God, we ask that you bless them too, Lord, and speak to their hearts. And we thank you for what you're going to say and do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. this morning I want to continue my series entitled Famous Last Words, Famous Last Words. And if you do a little bit of um, historical background and a little bit of a historical research, you'll find that there are a lot of people in history that had famous last words, people that were famous that had last words that kind of reverberate through history. And, and, and Jesus is probably, obviously, the most profound person that ever lived and and Jesus has seven statements that he makes while he's on the cross and while we're celebrating and getting ready we're celebrating Lent and we're getting ready for Good Friday and we're getting ready for Easter I want to ponder on those seven powerful statements because if you would come to the foot of the cross if you were courageous enough to come to the foot of the cross you would hear Jesus utter some of the most powerful profound statements that can change your life it could change the lives of the people that you love because it did change history 
And two weeks ago, we discovered that Jesus first said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was praying for you. He was praying for me. And the, and the truth is Jesus is still praying for us while he's in heaven today. The Bible says he lives to pray for us. He's the mediator between God and man. Thank God that Jesus is still praying. Aren't you glad that Jesus is still praying for you? But this morning, I want to take you back to the foot of the cross, and I want you to hear another several words that Jesus utters, but I want to give you the background of what's happening during that time. Jesus is now hanging on the cross, and the Bible says there's two thieves, one on the left and one on the right. And the Bible tells us that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, that the religious leaders, the people that are gathered, they're mocking him, they're ridiculing him. And that word mock is a very strong word. It actually means in the Greek that they were making sport of Jesus. It's like the cat who's caught the mouse and the cat's not satisfied with just kind of eating the mouse, but the cat takes the mouse and, and throws it against the wall and makes sport of the mouse. Well, they were making sport of Jesus as they threw him against the wall, as they beat him as they put a crown of thorns on his head as they nailed him to the cross they laughed and they jeered and they mocked him and they criticized they ridiculed him as if they were really actually trying to elicit a response from Jesus but the Bible says that Jesus did not open his mouth they were looking to see they were looking to pull something out of Jesus so that they would say you see he's really not the Messiah look at him now while he's hanging on the cross he's cursing God look at him now he's He's had enough of us and he's cursing us. Look at him now. He's pleading and he's crying and he's begging for mercy. But Jesus did not do that. He kept his mouth shut. The Bible says as a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. But there's two thieves, one on the right and one on the left. And the thing that's amazing is even when some people are at the very end of their life, the point of death. They're going to still go down. You see, these two guys, they wanted to go down as bad to the bone all the way to their death. You know, I did some research about people who are actually on death row and people, what they do, how they respond on death row. Some cry out for mercy. But many of those guys, many of those ladies that are so hardened in their heart, through their life, they've had so much pain. They've had so much misery. They've done so many bad things that they actually go, come on, get this over with, do this now. And they start cursing at everyone who's actually doing something to, to cause their death. You know, we have this saying, just do it. And we think that Mike, Nike actually came up with that. But really, it was actually somebody that was on death row. And he was like, just do this thing already. And they caught a hold of it. And now you have sneakers that say, just do it on it. And it's actually comes from a convict who, who wanted to die. Just get it over with. It's amazing how some people will curse God right to the very end of their life. They'll curse others right to the very end of their life. And these two criminals, they wanted to be bad to the bone all the way to their death. Now you might say, but you got it wrong, Pastor Steve, because it was only one criminal that was doing The other guy was actually repentant. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, if you look in Matthew and Mark, you'll find the same story, but you'll show, it'll show you that actually both of them were ridiculing Jesus. 
that right up to a, a certain moment in one of their lives, he changed his mind. But both of them were actually, as the Bible says, as they were all ridiculing, the two criminals also joined in, and they were mocking Jesus. They were screaming and yelling. Can you imagine? They're hanging on the cross, and they're looking over at Jesus, and they're going, dude, dude, if you're really the Messiah, dude, if you're really who you said you were, then you'd come off the cross. And not only that, but you'd get us off of this, the cross as well. And they were mocking and mocking and mocking. But something happened along the way. This is so powerful because now Luke chapter 23, we find that now one of them actually has a change of heart. One of them has a change of mind. One of them has a change of speech. And this is a powerful thing if you think about how powerful this really is. See, I want you to notice that it was two rebels that were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And, and Matthew actually says that they were both ridiculing. But look what it says here in verse 39 to 43. It tells us that they mocked him without mercy. In the same way the rebels were crucified with him, also heaped insults upon him. So while Jesus is hanging on the cross, there are these rebels and, and, and criminals. And by the way, they weren't just thieves. They didn't, get, they didn't get hung on the cross if they were just thieves. They were revolutionists. They were people who wanted to actually overturn uh, the government and, and overrule the Romans. And so they were murderers. They were insurrectionists. And they were bad dudes. They were very dangerous guys. And the truth is, as they're hanging on the cross, something changed in one of the criminals. Something powerful happened. This criminal went from being very violent. This criminal went from very be, being very hardened, an unrepentant criminal. He stops screaming. He stops cursing. He stops demanding that Jesus prove himself and immediately get off the cross and save him. Wow. So, so if we really went into this thing a little deeper, we would see the power of Jesus and what he can do at the last moments in a person's life. Now, some people might say the reason why this guy goes from cursing Jesus to actually blessing Jesus is because while he's on the cross, he watches Jesus actually with unbelievable forgiveness cry out to the Father and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or perhaps the, the, the truth is that he could see that Jesus was still very loving. Whatever the case is, something incredibly powerful happened happen. At that very moment while Jesus is dying on the cross, he's saving a criminal. At that very moment while Jesus is dying on the cross, he's saying, today, right now, you will have a life-transforming event that happens in your life, and today you will be with me in paradise. In fact, the truth of the matter is the cross is surrounded with such irony. Think about it for a moment. Here is Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus being mocked because he cannot seemingly save himself and save others. But in truth, he's saving the whole world. Here is Jesus who claims to be a king. He's hanging on the cross for fear that, they would, that he was a threat to the Roman government. They hung him on the cross because Jesus is actually a threat to the Roman government. He was a threat to the, to the religious leaders, and so they wanted to get rid of him. But while they're hanging him on the cross and they're thinking that getting rid of this threat, he is actually changing the entire world. While he's dying on the cross, he's actually being prepared to be a revolutionary 
revolutionary. And today, Pharaoh is gone. Pilate is gone. The Roman government is gone. And Jesus today stands as the most prominent figure in the history of mankind. And millions of people are worshiping this Jesus. The irony of the cross. The power of the cross. Here is Jesus accused of blaspheming. And yet he's being blasphemed by his accusers. It's ironic that he, the innocent of righteousness, is executed by the guilty. Justice is turned on its head. It's also somewhat ironic that he is cursed by his enemies who hate him. But he's more cursed by the father who sees him. As the Bible says, Jesus takes on the sin of all of mankind and he becomes a curse on the tree as he cries out, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Some theologians believe at that moment the father had to turn his head because all of the sin of mankind is on Jesus. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who brings hope. He's the one who brings resurrection. He's the one who brings hope in the midst of the the most difficult times in our life. One such dead sinner is hanging next to him to whom God miraculously, sovereignly, powerfully, instantaneously transforms his life and he gives this thief that's on the cross, this criminal, this murderer, hope in eternal life. So it's not in really saving himself, but it's actually not saving himself that he saves the world. Exactly the opposite of their claims and assumptions that because he could not save himself, therefore he could not save others. How wrong, how twisted, how truly misunderstood that those who mock Jesus could not ever see the sovereign plan of God. The mystery of God is Jesus hanging on the cross. The mystery of God is that Jesus is saving the world while he chooses not to save himself but they can't see it. Their minds are twisted. How twisted is their perception? The religious leaders had no clarity. The Roman soldiers had no clarity. The people at the foot of the cross had no clarity. Even his own disciples lacked clarity. But at that very moment in the midst of delusion, They had thought that they were doing something good, but they were actually doing something wrong. And yet while they were doing something wrong, God was doing something good. Hallelujah, glory to God. There is one man, there is one sinner, there is one hardened criminal, one person that all of a sudden, he gets it. All of a sudden, he gets clarity that he needs. He gets understanding. He sees what other people cannot see. And in spite of all that's going on around him, life comes out of darkness. Knowledge comes out of ignorance. Truth shines brighter than the lies, and the light dispels the darkness. And from this one story, this very personal story of this one man who's on death row, who's facing execution for his horrible sins, he sees a light. He sees a savior. He sees something that no one else can see and stops and simply makes one request of Jesus and it changes his entire story. It changes his entire destiny. And we who are standing at the foot of the cross this morning, we can learn some very critical things about what happens, this dialogue, this episode in the life of this hardened criminal. The first thing that we can understand, I love this. I want you to take out your smartphones and go on Facebook. 
And I want you to say, God does miracles every day. God does miracles every day. And I love the miracle of the suddenlies of God. I love the fact that God does things suddenly. Now, I know that you've been praying for somebody for a long time. How many of you in this room, you've got somebody that you've been praying for? Somebody that's on drugs. Somebody that's gone away from the Lord. Somebody that's hooked to alcohol. Somebody that really needs divine intervention. And you've been praying a long time. But I want you to know that God, he does things suddenly. Yes, we pray and we believe God. But I'm so thankful for the sovereign work of God in our life. That he does it suddenly. It's the power of God's ability to intervene in the person's life that we're praying for. It's the power of God to sovereignly give grace. It's the power of God to miraculously turn somebody's heart from being a sinner to a seeker from truth so that God can do a work in their life. Remember, at the beginning of this story, both of the criminals are hardened criminals and they're mocking Jesus, but something happened to one of them. Verse 39 says that one of the criminals was hurling insults at Jesus but the other suddenly became silent. He suddenly stops hating. He suddenly stops spewing hatred. He suddenly ceases from angry taunts. He suddenly has a change of heart. Something happens to this violent, hardened criminal as he's hanging on the cross, as the oxygen is depleting, as the pain is increasing. As the minutes become slow seconds of agony and pain and suffering, when most people give in to delusion, he experiences something that no one else could see, no one else could perceive, and no one else could understand. Only divine intervention, only grace, only the Holy Spirit could help him see what he saw. Because he's not just crying out for mercy. He's not just saying, please, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I, I, I'm desperate. Nobody else is hearing my cries. And maybe, maybe perhaps you can help me. He sees something that's so deep. He sees something that most Christians could never see. He sees that God is a holy God. He sees the fear of the Lord. He sees the sinlessness of Jesus. He recognizes for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is going to come into his kingdom. How did he know that? Because he was a Jew. And maybe when he was a little boy, his parents dragged him to the temple and he heard that the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom. And at that very moment, it was not something that man could give him. It was not something that he can come up by himself and understand. As the Bible says that Jesus, when he was speaking, to Peter when Peter said you are the Messiah Jesus said the Holy Spirit gave that to you and at that very moment I want you to know it was a sovereign work of God in this criminal's life that God intervened and he gave him the understanding and the clarity to see who Jesus really was somebody help me out and say amen glory to God this criminal stops the religious leaders could not see it the Romans could not understand it not even his disciples could understand and perceive it themselves but this criminal who's hanging so close to majesty could see at the last moment who Jesus really was at that very moment he turns to his cellmate and he rebukes him and he says this don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what we deserve but this man has done nothing wrong now at first we can 
we cannot really truly understand how powerful these words really are. But, but this, my friend, is God, listen to me, at work in the very soul of a man who is desperate, who desperately needs grace, who desperately needs forgiveness, who desperately needs mercy, who desperately needs redemption. And he will never receive it. Listen to me. He will never receive it. And he'll never receive the redemption of God until he first sees and understands and recognizes his need. See, the truth of the matter is, is there, there are a lot of people who never come to the foot of the cross and receive redemption. They never come to that place where they're really transformed in their life because they can't see their need. Now, I suppose that most of us in this room, we feel like we're pretty good people. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I bet you feel pretty good about yourself right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life. See, the problem with most religious people is they don't believe that they really have a need. See, most of us, we believe that we're better than somebody else. Because when we look at that criminal, that murderer on the cross, we think to ourselves, well, that's not me. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Remember, I said two weeks ago, have you ever looked at somebody and said, you want them gone? I mean, like, you want them to disappear? Now, you don't want to do the murder because you don't want to do the time. But you'd love for them to just be gone. Jesus said, you've already murdered somebody. He said, if you have hatred in your heart towards somebody, you've already done it. So we're all guilty. We're that criminal on the cross. Let me say that again. We are that criminal on the cross. And the Bible tells us that he had a change of heart. But he had a change of heart because something happened where God illuminated his mind. At that very moment, there's only one explanation for what happened. It was miraculous. It was divine. It was a work of God's wonderful grace that reached down, deep down into the soul of this man to give him light. As the Bible says, no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit is working in his life. As the Bible tells us that God chose us before we chose him, that while he was yet dying on the cross and while we were yet sinners, Christ was already reaching down to us. It's a work of God's love in our life that while we weren't even thinking about God, God was thinking about us. The Lamb of God is hanging right next to him. And what does this have to do with you and I? Everything. Because you wouldn't be here today, friend. Listen to me. I don't know why you came. Maybe you were invited by somebody to come to church today. But I'm here to tell you, you're not here by accident. You're here because God divinely interrupted your schedule and said, I got something I want to tell you. I got something I want to say to you through this skinny Italian guy, hallelujah, on the pulpit today who screams a little bit. But man, oh man, God wants to say something to you today. And he interrupted your busy schedule to get you here this morning because he 
loves you with an everlasting love and he's got a plan for your life and it's bigger than you could ever imagine and God wants to intervene in the most desperate moment of your life and he wants to tell you that he loves you with an everlasting love. He's got this purpose for your life and if you come to the foot of the cross and you see your need for a savior, a savior will intervene in your life and he'll bring life transforming power and hope and glory and joy and peace that you've never had in your life. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. I got to tell you, I'm preaching it today. I had a busy day yesterday, and then last night we went to Toby Mac concert. And I was there till almost 11 o'clock. I said, how am I going to preach tomorrow morning? And he said, just think of Toby dancing. You could do it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all need to get to that place in our life. And unless we can truly see our own sinfulness, we'll never see our way to a Savior. So he, he suddenly becomes aware of four things. He suddenly becomes aware of God's holiness. To be honest with you, he becomes aware of the fear of God in his life. Number two, he becomes, he becomes aware of, of his own sinfulness, his own need for a Savior. Thirdly, he becomes aware of Jesus' sinlessness. He becomes aware of his divinity. And fourthly, he becomes aware of Jesus' kingdom. Only God can make that real to him. It's the power of the gospel. I was sitting with a young man. We were having breakfast on Wednesday morning. And we were both saying that we were brought up in the church. I started coming to this church when I was six years old, 20 years ago. And man, I'll tell you what. It's amazing. I, I grew up in this church all my life. I've heard this message. I've heard some of the best preachers, you want to call it, best teachers talk about the gospel. I've heard that God loved me. I heard that God so loved me that Christ in the form of man, yet God himself came and died on the cross for my sins so that I might have eternal life. I heard the story about the fact that Jesus died so that I might be saved from what? What? From eternal separation from God. But somewhere along the line, it happened. I know the day that it happened. I remember that moment. Now, I know some of you might not really remember, but I remember so vividly. I was 19 years old. I was hanging out, clubbing, doing all kinds of stuff. I came to church on Sunday morning because my mom made me come to church. I had a little Italian mom. She was five foot nothing. She'd give me a beating if I didn't come to church. So I came to church. And I remember that day. I had prayed prayers similar to that. But, but on that day, there was something different. Something happened in my life that changed my whole life. Now, I'm not saying that I had these incredible feelings. I'm just telling you that it was a work of God. It was a sovereign work of God, and I was changed. You see, here's what I've learned, and I'm not a Calvinist, and you go look up what it means to be a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. But I do believe with all my heart that God has to first initiate the work in our life. I believe that God is always at work, but I believe sovereignly there are times in all of our lives where God is calling us where the Holy Spirit is convicting us in our life, where he's reaching out to us. And I believe that he overrules. 
He overrules everything at that very moment. And he comes sovereignly to touch our life. And he touches our heart. And he gives us the faith that we need. And he gives us the grace that we need. And he gives us the conviction that we need to have in our soul. And he begins that work in our heart. And we cry out to God. And that, that, at that very moment, God does a transformative work in our life. It's called being born again. Now, I know that you've heard that term before and you've met some born-again Christians and they're wacky. You know what I'm talking about. But the word born-again just simply means change from the inside out. And Jesus was the man. He was the one who said it. He said, unless the man be transformed on the inside out, unless the man be transformed inside first, then he'll never see the kingdom of God. And that is, he said, a work of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're here today and you're just feeling something. You're sensing that God is tugging at your heart. You're sensing that God is calling you. And all he's asking you to do is one thing. Respond right now. Respond to his love. Respond to his grace. Respond to his mercy. Respond to what God is saying to you because he wants to do a really great work in your life. So I was having breakfast with this young man and we both said we remember the day where we were religious all our life. We were coming to church. But on that one day when God just spoke to us so clearly and her eyes were open and we could see. Our hearts were wide open and we could receive. And something happened in our life. You see, he really understood the holiness of God and the fear of God and it gripped his soul because he also saw his sinfulness. Listen to me. I want, I want to read something to you. Because here's where I think the church is going wrong today. Now, I'm not saying that I've got it all together. And I'm certainly not saying that I'm the best preacher. And I'm not saying this is the best church in the world. But here, here's the problem with most preachers. Most teachers, most pastors are afraid to tell people that God is a holy God. That when they die, they're going to stand before a holy God. And if they're not in covenant relationship with Jesus, and if they have not embraced Jesus on the cross, they're going to spend a Christless hell away from God because they've never embraced the solution that God gave him. Listen to me. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you a new Cadillac. He didn't die on the cross to give you a bigger house. He didn't die on the cross to give you a lot of money. He didn't die on the cross to make your life better on earth. He died on the cross to give you peace with God and keep you from the wrath of God. Come on, somebody. You see, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And I'm not trying to picture God as a wrathful God. But listen, when you sin against the holy God, it deserves and it, it demands a payment that is perfect and it deserves separation from God. God has to judge you for your sin, no matter who you are. But God doesn't want to judge you for your sin. That's why he sent his son so his son could die on the cross to give you peace with God so that you can pass from death unto life. Listen, this is the key. See, we don't want to talk about the fear of God anymore. But notice what it says in Romans. It says, Romans 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seed, seed of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friend, let me tell you, God is keeping a record of every sin that we've ever committed in our life. And you might say, well, murder is really bad. Well, sin is... To God is all the same. 
All the same. Have you ever lied before? Let me see your hands. See, you're lying for those that don't have your hands up. (laughs) Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Have you ever wanted to take something that doesn't belong to you? Have you looked at a hottie and said, man, oh, man. The Bible says that's lust. And the Bible says if you've wanted to do it, you've already committed sin. So we're all guilty. We're all, listen to me, we're all guilty of sin. And so the Bible says that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will say we weren't so bad. And God's going to say, roll the videotape. And so that each one of us may receive what is due to us for the things that we did while we were here. And while one of the criminals is hurling insults at Jesus, the other criminal rebukes him and says, don't you fear God? In other words, don't you understand that one day you're going to give an account for what you've done on earth? Don't you fear the fact that God is a holy God and one day you're going to stand before God? And I know you want to be tough. I know some of you in this room, you want to be tough guys. Just like those criminals on death row, I know you're, you want to be really tough and say, when I stand before God, when you stand before God, you're going to need a diaper. You can put that on Facebook. He said, don't you realize that in a few moments we'll be standing in the very presence of God Almighty and we're going to give an account for everything we did in our life. Don't you realize that we have sinned against the holy God and we deserve what we are getting. Don't you realize that God is holy and that we've sinned against the holy God. He said, don't you ever fear God. Don't you even fear God since we're under the same sentence. I know we want to speak about God's love. I know we want to speak about God's mercy. But we can't get to the love of God until we go through the justice of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that there's bad news and there's really good news. And first, we need to be confronted with the truth that God is a holy God. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus said it this way, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, So the Lord commands us to observe all these statutes to fear God. Fear him always so that you might survive today. I love Psalms 31. How great is your goodness, O God, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Psalms 85.9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we come to a God who is holy and we recognize we're sinners. But secondly, the criminal became aware of Jesus' sinlessness. He, rebu- he rebukes the criminal and it says, his, it says, we deserve what we're getting, but this man, he is innocent. Listen to me. It's the perfection of Christ that brings forgiveness. It's the perfection of Christ that brings healing and deliverance in our life. If Jesus was not perfect, If he was not the perfect lamb of God, we wouldn't be forgiven of our sin. But when he shed his blood on the cross, that was holy blood. That was divine blood. That was majestic blood. That was God himself shedding his blood on the cross for us. It was his perfection that made us perfectly holy in the sight of a holy, perfect God. That's powerful. 
And I think so often we can't recognize how powerful that is. And, and, and at that very moment, he recognizes the divinity of Christ. I want to ask you a question. How often do we forget how holy Jesus really is? How often do we forget that we're in the presence of a holy God, that he's the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end, he's the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, he's the bright and morning star, he is and he always will be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the Bible says in Revelation, he's got fire in his eyes, and he's got sword in his, in his tongue as he, as he speaks the Word of truth to the world, and he says, I am the Alpha Alpha and Omega. I am the resurrection. I am the living one. I was dead and now I'm alive. He is the master. He is king of kings and Lord of lords and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I wonder, I wonder today, do you really know who you're worshiping? I wonder, do you really know who you're in the presence of? I wonder if you really love Jesus because if you did, you'd stop right now. You'd stand to your feet and you would applaud Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. You are a holy God. You are a majestic God. And we love you, Jesus. We adore you, Jesus. You're awesome, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're the mighty God who died on the cross. Hallelujah. So I might have eternal life. And we worship you today. We exalt you today. Hallelujah. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a shout. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. You're awesome today, God. As a result of that, as Anthony comes, we're going to sing one last song. Jesus says this. Listen to what he says. I love this. This criminal as an act of God's sovereignty in his life, he sees something no one else can see. And check this out. This criminal is the first convert of Christendom. It wasn't a religious man who got to heaven first. It wasn't a Sunday school teacher who got to heaven first. It wasn't a pastor who got to heaven first. It wasn't the Pope that got there first. It was a criminal, a hardened criminal who got there first. And notice what he says to Jesus. Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus utters eight life-changing, powerful words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I mean, if, if we dissected that and broke it down, today, today is a very powerful word. Because today says you don't have to get off that cross and get water baptized. You don't have to get off that cross and go read the Bible. You don't have to get off that cross and go to the temple. You don't have to get off that cross and try to please somebody and impress somebody while you're hanging on the cross at the last moment of your life. Today is a powerful word. Why? Because today's the day of salvation. And when God begins to speak to your heart, today you respond. What a word today. 
today. I don't know what you're going through today, right now. I don't know why you came to this church. I don't know why you're listening to me. But I'm here to tell you that God does miracles today. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. Listen to me. I know some of you came limping into church today. You're so broken on the inside. And you say to me, Pastor Steve, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know how bad it's been in my life. You don't know what I've done in my life. I'm thankful that God, he loves us so much that today, he says to you, today, the only thing you need to do is respond to my love. Today, the only thing you need to do is is come to the foot of the cross and realize that my son, he paid for all of your sin. And he understands the pain that you're in right now. Today is a powerful word. But I love what it says. Today, you will be with me in paradise. But you see, the problem is you think that you're not good enough. You think that you can never be holy enough. You think that God could never love you, but it's never really been about you. It's always been about him. Hallelujah. It's been about the fact that he did it for you. He paid the price. In a couple of weeks, we're going to hear those words. It is finished. He finished it for you. Hallelujah. Today, you will be with me. With me. So so this dude, this really bad dude, has a change of heart seconds before he goes into eternity he wakes up dies and he wakes up some people said what is heaven going to be like what happens to people when they die well here's what the bible says the bible says it's appointed unto man first to die there's two things that you're going to do in this world be sure of this You're going to pay your taxes, and if you live in Nassau County, that's a lot of money. And you're going to die. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man to die once. Then right after that, we're standing in judgment. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man to die once, and then comes the judgment. So we don't die and just fall asleep. We don't die and it's just over. I, I, I know, I know. Some people want to believe that I'm in so much pain that I want to just get it over with because then I'll be in peace. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you were were created with a spirit. You were created with a soul. And the moment that your body dies, your spirit leaves your body. And you either go to heaven or you go to hell. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Jesus said, we love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the next verse says, but if you don't believe, you're condemned to eternity without God. The Bible talks more about hell than it talks about heaven. It's real. And when, when your spirit leaves, you don't go in another limbo place. You don't go into a waiting room. You either go to hell or heaven. If you don't believe me, Read the book of Luke, chapter 16. But you don't have to go there. Your spirit leaves your body. What's going to happen? The Bible says, what happens to Christians? 
the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you die, you don't go into sleep. You don't go into a waiting room, but you're in the presence of God. The moment that you die, you're in the presence of God. And God asks one question, why should I let you into my heaven? You better have the right answer, dude. And it's not because you were a good person. Because he's going to say, roll the videotape. There's only one, one answer you, you could have. You must have. I embraced what Christ did on the cross for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So whosoever believes in him will not have, not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, don't leave this place without embracing what Christ did for you on the cross to give you eternal life. You don't know how long you're going to live, but you have today. You have right now to be able to make it right with God today, right now. Some people say, but what is heaven going to be like when we get to heaven? Are we going to be floating on a cloud with a harp singing like Anthony? I'm going to tell you what heaven's going to be like. Did you ever look around? Did you ever have a beautiful day early in the morning when the sun came up and you were sitting on the jetties in Long Beach and you thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. Have y'all ever gone to the Grand Canyon? Say, wow, that's pretty awesome. Have you ever been in nature and you looked up and you just say, God, wow. As the Bible says, the mountains scream out the glory of God. God is so powerful. Well, let me tell you what heaven's going to be like a thousand times better. Hallelujah. A thousand times better that this is just a tease. That God's just like saying, here's the appetizer, hallelujah. Here's the little appetizer I'm giving you so that you can get a taste of my creative forces. How many know that if earth is pretty cool, God says heaven's going to be awesome, hallelujah. So what is heaven going to look like? What happens to us after we die? I love what Paul the apostle says. Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring Jesus with those who have fallen asleep according to the Lord's Lord's word. The only time you sleep is when when your body is sleeping. That's it. But your spirit is alive. Listen, so I tell you, those that are still alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, that we will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Not the dead in church, but the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall be with the Lord forever. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you so that I am, you might be also. Listen to me. I'm not positively sure what heaven's going to totally look like. But I'm telling you right now, heaven's going to be a place of unspeakable joy. Heaven's going to be a place of unmistakable peace heaven's going to be a place of undeniable glory and majesty heaven's going to be a place where jesus is and wherever jesus is i want to be hallelujah and 
how could anyone ever think heaven would ever be anything but incredibly beautiful? Here's the way the end of the book, Revelations, describes it. And I close with this right now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his God. And God himself will be with them, and, and, and he will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow in heaven. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Heaven is going to be a place of joy, of peace, and of newness. I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. He said, I, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down to the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations and no longer will there be any curse the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night but just light and there will be no need for light because he will he will be the light of, like the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever my friend that's good enough for me no more tears no more sorrow no more sickness no more pain no more suffering no more sin no more war no more abuse no more sin no more Satan no more destruction and no more evil why? Because Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a clap offering and say, thank you, Jesus. You are Lord of everything. Hallelujah.